this is Victorian Scribblers, an informal exploration of the lives and work of lesser-known Victorian writers. I'm Dr. Courtney Floyd, a specialist in 19th century literature and print culture. And I'm Dr. Eleanor Dunmill, an expert in 19th century literary and publishing history. Hi, listeners. In the tradition of our annual holiday episodes, I've gone a little wild with the title of today's episode. Episode 30, All I Want for Christmas is Improved Working Conditions for All. Today, I'm going to be reading a Christmas ballad titled, It is Christmas Day in the Workhouse, which was first published in the 1870s and which floats around with several variant titles. It was written by English journalist, poet, dramatist, and novelist George R. Sims, and it has the etheric energy that I am looking for this holiday season for a variety of reasons. Uh, So let's start with a mini-biography of George R. Sims, and as usual, we will kick that off with a quick trip around the world in George R. Sims' lifetime. On February 11th of 1847, Thomas Edison was born. 1848 marked the beginning of several revolutions against European monarchies, notably in Sicily, France, Germany, Italy, and the Austrian Empire. On April 10th, 1848, Chartists gathered across the Thames from the Houses of Parliament for a demonstration in which they planned to march en masse to deliver a petition. But police had them pinned down, and the event ended with a fizzle rather than a bang. On July 4th, 1855, Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass was published. In 1868, Elizabeth Blackwell established a women's medical college. On November 17th, 1877, Charles Darwin received an honorary doctorate of law from Cambridge University. During the ceremony, a prankster dangled a stuffed monkey dressed in academic robes from the gallery of the Senate House, or it's rumored to have happened, which excited, quote, some mirth. From April 1888 to February 1891, the Whitechapel murders were committed by an unidentified person who came to be known as Jack the Ripper. On September 23rd, 1889, Nintendo was founded in Japan. It produced playing cards. In 1899, Kate Japan's The Awakening was published. On September 8, 1903, the American Federation of Labor granted a charter to granite quarry workers. On the 2nd of February, 1914, the first film featuring Charlie Chaplin, titled Making a Living, was released. And on January 11, 1922, researcher John McLeod and chemist James Collip administered the first dose of their newly developed insulin injection to a 14-year-old diabetic, Leonard Thompson. George Sims was born on the 2nd of September, 1847, to his father, also named George Sims, and mother, 
Louisa Amelia Ann Stevenson Sims. He would be the first of the couple's six children. Their parenting style included large doses of London theater and progressive politics. Louisa was a president of the Women's Provident League, and her father, Chartist leader John Dinmore Stevenson, lived with the family. Sims began writing fairly consistently in school, where he quickly began to publish poetry and journalism in the College Gazette, and later, periodicals including The Welcome Guest, Fun, Weekly Dispatch, and The Referee. For The Referee, he wrote a popular column of miscellany, or just a variety of subjects, called Mustard and Cress, under the pseudonym Dagonet. Dagonet? Dagonet, I'm not sure. Uh, from 1877 until he died in 1922. And it is under that pseudonym that he reported from 1888 to 1891 on the Whitechapel murders, and according to some theories, uh, is even a suspect himself. I am not digging into that in a mini-episode on this, the eve of Christmas Eve. <laughs> One of George Sims's best-known piece of works is a ballad titled It Is Christmas Day in the Workhouse, which has often been parodied even during his lifetime, but struck me, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, as having strong Eat the Rich vibes um, in a Christmas season marked by the exploitation of wage workers here in the U.S. and indeed the world. Um, ho, ho, ho. I am sorry. I am not being a Scrooge because I am, uh, in fact, bashing um, captains of industry and capitalism in general, but I I'm not trying to throw a humbug in your holiday season either. Um, so, uh, <laughs> with that rambling disclaimer, let's dive in to this infamous Christmas ballad. It is Christmas Day in the workhouse, and the cold, bare walls are bright, with garlands of green and holly, and the place is a pleasant sight, for with clean-washed hands and faces, in a long and hungry line, the paupers sit at the table, for this is the hour they dine. And the guardians and their ladies, although the wind is east, have come in their furs and wrappers to watch their charges feast to smile and be condescending, put pudding on pauper plates, to be hosts at the workhouse banquet they've paid for with the rates. Oh, the paupers are meek and lowly, with their thanky, kindly mums. So long as they fill their stomachs, what matter it once it comes? What matter it once it comes? But one of the old men mutters and pushes his plate aside. Great God, he cries, but it chokes me, for this is the day she died. The guardians gazed in horror. The master's face went white. Did a pauper refuse the pudding? Could their ears believe aright? Then the ladies clutched their husbands, thinking the man would die, struck by a bolt or something by the outraged one on high. But the pauper sat for a moment, then rose mid silence grim, for the others had ceased to chatter and trembled in every limb. 
He looked at the guardian's ladies, then eyeing their lords, he said, I eat not the food of villains, whose hands are foul and red, whose victims cry for vengeance from their dark unhallowed graves. He's drunk, said the workhouse master, or else he's mad and raves. Not drunk or mad, cried the pauper, but only a haunted beast, who torn by the hounds and mangled, declines the vulture's feast. I care not a curse for the guardians, and I won't be dragged away. Just let me have the fit out. It's only on Christmas Day that the black past comes to goad me and prey on my burning brain. I'll tell you the rest in a whisper. I swear I won't shout again. Keep your hands off me. Curse you. Hear me right out to the end. You come here to see how paupers the season of Christmas spend. You come here to watch us feeding as they watch the captured beast. Here's why a penniless pauper spits on your paltry feast. Do you think I will take your bounty and let you smile and think you're doing a noble action with the parish's meat and drink? Where's my wife, you traitors, the poor old wife you slew? Yes, by the god above me, my Nance was killed by you. Last winter my wife lay dying, starved in a filthy den. I had never been to the parish. I came to the parish then. I swallowed my pride in coming, for ere the ruin came, I held up my head as a traitor, and I bore a spotless name. I came to the parish craving bread for a starving wife, Bread for the woman who'd loved me through fifty years of life. And what do you think they told me, mocking my awful grief? That the house was open to us, but they wouldn't give out relief. I slunk to the filthy alley. T'was a cold, raw Christmas Eve, and the baker's shops were open, tempting a man to thieve. But I clenched my fists together, holding my head awry. So I came to her empty-handed and mournfully told her why. Then I told her the house was open, she had heard of the ways of that, for her bloodless cheeks went crimson, and up in her rags she sat, crying, Bide the Christmas here, John, we've never had one apart. I think I can bear the hunger, the other would break my heart. All through that eve I watched her, holding her hand in mine, praying the Lord and weeping till my lips were salt as brine. I asked her once if she hungered, and as she answered no, the moon shone in at the window, set in a wreath of snow. Then the room was bathed in glory, and I saw in my darling's eyes the faraway look of wonder that comes when the spirit flies, and her lips were parched and parted, and her reason came and went, for she raved of our home in Devon, where our happiest years were spent. And the accents, long forgotten, came back to the tongue once more, for she talked like the country lassie I wooed by the Devon shore. Then she rose to her feet and trembled, and fell on the rags and moaned, and give me a crust I'm famished for the love of God, she groaned. I rushed from the room like a madman and flew to the workhouse gate, crying food for a dying woman, and the answer came too late. They drove me away with curses, then I fought with a dog in the street and tore from the mongrel's clutches a crust he was trying to eat. Back through the filthy byways, back through the trampled slush, up to the crazy garret wrapped in an awful hush. My heart sank down at the threshold, and I paused with a sudden thrill. For there, in the silvery moonlight, my Nance lay cold and still. Up to the blackened ceiling the sunken eyes were cast. I knew on those lips, all bloodless, my name had been the last. She called for her absent husband. Oh God, had I but known had called in vain and in anguish, 
had died in that den, alone. Yes, there, in a land of plenty, lay a loving woman dead, cruelly starved and murdered for a loaf of the parish bread. At yonder gate, last Christmas, I craved for a human life. You, who would feed us paupers, what of my murdered wife? There, get ye gone to your dinners. Don't mind me in the least. Think of the happy paupers eating your Christmas feast. And when you recount their blessings in your smug, parochial way, say what you did for me, too, only last Christmas Day. from me this year. Thank you so much for listening and hanging on on our mostly empty RSS feed through a long uh, and sometimes trying year. I hope you all have a happy winter holiday or break or uh, just work week depending on where you are and what you celebrate. Keep an eye on our feed for a second holiday episode from Eleanor next week. Take care. Victorian Scribblers is researched, written, and produced by me, Courtney Floyd, and my co-host, Eleanor Dumbbell. The podcast is made possible by support from listeners like you. If you liked what you heard today and want to help ensure more fabulous content, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, spread the word on social media, and, if you can, visit www.victorianscribblers.com slash support us to donate. All of the music and sound effects for this podcast are available under Creative Commons Attribution Licenses. Our theme is Joseph Miroslav Weber's String Quartet, number no. 2 in B minor, performed by Steve's Bedroom Band. 